you've seriously never heard of the term, what's the deal, banana peel? Right. You've never heard that? Nope. Do, do you guys not have bananas in California? <laughs> we have our share of bananas. But you've never heard, what's the deal, banana what's peel? The de- yeah, no, I have not. Wow. Well, you said I, I'm not east of the Mississippi. That That's a... That's the demising line, it sounds like. I do need to get out more. I, I do need to get out more. I'm, I'm out right now. Exactly. So you're out right now. You know what you should do? You should walk into whatever social event that you're probably going to le- go to once you hang up the phone with me. And you should say, what's the deal, banana peel? <laughs> see who see who reacts. Uh, <laughs> you're in, you are where again? I'm in Topeka, Kansas. And what are you doing in Topeka, Kansas? Other I, than admi- admiring the uh, change in altitude from zero to one. Yeah, I, I, that's a good question. I wonder what the altitude is here. I'm looking at my watch to see if it tells me. It says I'm at 1466. I have no idea how accurate that is, which is higher than where I live by 200 feet. Yeah, but even if it's... 1466 above sea level just say if that's accurate it's still it means that the entire state of of kansas and there's one person who's going to probably rip me for saying this um (laughs) but it's still flat like flat well flat doesn't mean sea level come on i mean no it doesn't it just means flat it just means flat means that you could take the largest ball of twine and lay it out and it won't like rise or fall it'll just be a straight line (laughs) it won't it won't keep rolling if you start unrolling it right yeah yeah i you know it is interesting to think about because in california living near the ocean i mean i'm i'm probably 45 minutes away on a good day because traffic is real but california has some tremendous elevation and geography one of the things that California's claim to fame is uh, w- regards to you know the highest point in the western hemisphere being mount whitney at like 14,000 feet and then death valley which is less than 100 miles away at minus 282 feet at the bottom of badwater basin so they do this race it's like a 24 hour uh, road race by by foot or by bike I, i'm sure they they'd probably do both but it's uh they they go from badwater to whitney and it's just a continuous it's like a hundred miles or something and you go from the lowest point to the highest point and that's got to be brutal because i've done i've been to both and the top of whitney is no joke there's no oxygen up there none and it's only half the elevation of mount everest so uh, pretty pretty interesting so what did you say the lowest point was elevation was i think it's minus 282 minus 282 right yep geez weird right and i thought and i thought it was bad as that like the flood level where i lived in florida was 13 feet above sea level yeah (laughs) and my living room floor was seven feet above sea level (laughs) (laughs) yeah rising oceans uh not a good place to be yeah. So yeah, bad water. If you drive into Death Valley from, I don't know, it's kind of in the middle of Death Valley, but it's a, it's like the salt basin and it's this really gnarly salt. It's not like a salt flat where they race, you know, rocket cars. It's a very gnarly, 
they call it the devil's golf course is actually one of the places there. So it's uh, you would never find a golf ball if you <laughs> hit it out into there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Does it just like go straight down to the pit? It's just really gnarly. Like the salt, you can actually hear the salt growing. It crackles as you are out there because it's just constantly growing and changing. So it's amazing place to be for sure. Super cool. Got some great photographs of that area. Okay. So the salt's growing, probably not on the rim of your glass that you've probably finished and came in here to thankfully record with me. But so what are you doing in in Kansas? Yeah. So there's a, it's the, I guess it's AIA Kansas's 101st year of being an organization. So they are, they invited me to come do a, a, the closing keynote presentation speaker, whatever, um, tomorrow. And so it's a, it's a two day event. I was around today for the opening keynote and some CE credits. And basically, uh, it, you know, I've learned a lot about AIA Kansas. It's actually really interesting because of their, kind of weird relationship with kansas city missouri and and missouri in general in kansas i don't know what it's like where you live now but there is only one aia chapter i mean it is the regional chapter it's this big it's the state chapter where in california because of where i live and where i did work i I had my choice of like three chapters that i could have been a part of (laughs) so because you know you can either pick the one you live in regional or you can pick the one you work in regionally to to be a member of for the local your local dues then go to support that one but in kansas it's just one so funny you say that and funny that you mention that because i just applied for and had my aia membership transferred from my aia potomac valley which so put in perspective maryland really small state and it actually had quite quite a few. And then I so I could have either been affiliated with AIA or DC AIA or AIA Baltimore or you know something that was closer to my home, which I chose that one because it was a small chapter. But I am now looking at the AIA Michigan chapters. And so I'm officially part of AIA Michigan and AIA Detroit. And there is several chapters, 11, 11 chapters, wow. 11 regions in the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, uh, you could assume that the entire Upper Peninsula is all one chapter because it's remote from, you know, the Mitten. So, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm now officially that, but, but yeah, it's interesting is because there are those there are those regions that pretty much like the state is the local chapter. Mm -hmm. And especially when, you know, they're much larger states out West, West of the Mississippi. And so if you only have like one, one chapter or yeah, one chapter for say Kansas, then you're like, if you live in Western uh, Kansas versus Eastern Kansas, which is where, you know, Kansas city is and all the other stuff. I mean, I'm assuming everything is, well, is it based out of Topeka or is it based out of Kansas City? It's based out of Topeka. Topeka is the capital. And what's interesting is a lot of people, I guess there's this 
I don't even know how much of this I can talk about, but <laughs> AIA, Missouri, all of Kansas City, no matter which side of the state line it's on, is part of AIA, Missouri because of some weird politics. So there could be Kansas Architects AIA members who are actually part of the AIA, Missouri, like whatever, that, that region just because that's where they live and because it's part of that larger metro area. So, yeah, it's it's interesting because Kansas is a large state and Topeka is pretty much on the east side. You know, it's an hour away from Kansas City by car. So if if you live in western Kansas, like you're not going to AIA meetings, right? It's just you're you're not going to do it. So it's it is very kind of weird how it, it's all kind of been drawn out and and uh, divided up or not divided up, but yeah, there's a lot of weird politics, you know. So anyway, they invited me here from where I live. I they don't they didn't care where I live, but I guess it, it has to do with the things that I'm interested in, the things we talk about, the things I talk about on the other podcast to kind of talk about what's the next 100 years of architecture look like. So they've been, they just celebrated their hundred year anniversary. What's the next hundred years. And, and I, when they invited me, no disrespect, but I laughed out loud. Like we can't even, we can't even think about what the next five years is in this profession. Like, <laughs> do you you tell me, look back five years. Can you have predicted any of the major shifts that we've seen? Like, think back fifteen when the iPhone came out. Could did anybody see that we'd all have a computer in our pocket that we we use for, you know, I don't know, fifteen, twenty, fifty times a day to check for some kind of information or whatever. So so yeah, what's the next hundred years look like? I don't, I don't no clue. My crystal ball is very foggy, but I do have a lot of things that are going on right now. And I think, you know, my, one of my big points that I'm going to be making tomorrow is, is that, well, yeah, there's a lot of tech and there's a lot of innovation and the, the level of innovation outpaces the level of adoption by leaps and bounds, right? I, the, the bigger issue is actually the adoption part than the innovation part. Because you can look at the eye candy, you can look at the innovation and get excited about it, but what are you actually going to do about it when it comes to your firm? And so my big question is, like, what do we owe the future of this profession? Because if you look at the demographics of a typical firm or of AIA Kansas, the majority of the people sit in the younger generations, but the ones in the older generations are the ones who make the decisions. And so the question is really for them. What do you owe the future of this profession? Yeah, it'd be really interesting to like just have a roundtable of asking that very question to firm owners that are either planning or not planning for like secession. Secession? Like leaving the profession? <laughs> no, that's just secession that's success. Or succession. Succe- yeah. Succession. <laughs> success leave me alone (laughs) you know what i'm saying yep but but the point being is it's like you know how exactly to your you know your question is like how how are you leaving the profession how are you preparing the profession with your experience your knowledge how are you leaving it right yeah 
prepare the way, right? I think that that's totally it. It is interesting for people to get exposed to what's going on out there or what's coming, what's next. I mean, especially when you think about the technology that we use to deliver projects being over two decades old, but it's still just kind of a evolution of the drafting board, right? It's it's just the digital version of the drafting board, whereas other industries are automating and, I mean, I've got the charts and the graphs to prove it, right? It, it's, it's, we are, the construction industry, which we are a part of, is far below the digitization of almost every other industry, if not the lowest. I mean, we're like second or third from the bottom. And when you think about that, I mean, it's like we're a victim of our own kind of short-sightedness and ability to get away from the project to work on the profession and on do that succession planning. And not just from a leadership standpoint, but from a technological, from a business model standpoint, all of those things to you know, actually take our attention away from the deadline that we have right now on this project to be thinking about those things. And that's that's where leadership comes in. And that's where I'm really hoping to just kind of make an impact or connect some dots for people to say, you know, this is actually really important. And I have to think differently about this. It, it has to become a priority because if it doesn't, you know, there's a really high chance. I mean, rural communities like this are losing people, right? So when I say the question, like, does the profession deserve to exist? It's a much more urgent question for communities like this than it is for somebody in an urban area, because those are attracting people. People are, you know, the emerging professionals are moving automatically to those locations because that's where the projects are. That's where the business is. That's where the experience potential is. And you look at a rural community and it's a totally different story. And it just seems like the days are are so much more numbered here than they are on the coasts, for, for example. Which is interesting because, you know, there's Rand out of Oklahoma or Marlin out of Arkansas. And those are those communities. And they are, you know, leading in the design profession. But they are, you know, they basically decided to stay regional, right? And open up practices that serve the regional community. And maybe that's, you know, the pattern for the future is just for those particular areas where the the sense of urgency of like keeping and fostering the next generation, you know, really should kind of look more towards than the the flock like jump in the fence and run into LA or you know New York or Chicago or places like that where they can practice with like the big names and get the exposure and get the you know say, I worked for you know this this architect or that architect the cred yeah they want the credibility yeah exactly well I do yeah. see that happening for sure but then there's does seem to be kind of a repeating story of people who are drawn back to these communities maybe because they have older generations of family still there who didn't leave there's also this weird sentiment of did you get out right and why did you come back which is kind of a weird stigma right uh, that that people attach to people who did go out and try something different but then ended up coming back 
or maybe they come back to visit and and they because they have dreams of getting out and they just want to talk about that with you know live vicariously or or get a little inspired to do it themselves but i hear that a lot when i go to these smaller communities like how'd you get out <laughs> i haven't talked to you know any architects in the area but i moved here um and then you know people are like oh well, what do you do for a living i'm like i'm, I'm an architect why are you in Detroit? You know, it's just like, why are you here? You know, why aren't you at one of these, you know, did you fail in your career? Did you, it's some like you know, lower rung on the ladder of architectural significance. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like, you know, shouldn't you be making your way in, in LA or California, you know, LA or uh, New York? Why, why aren't you there? Why aren't you, making your mark then i started talking to them a little bit and telling them you know about like where i'm actually based out of and they're just like oh but you're doing an international project and you're working out of your house in detroit but for a firm in baltimore that seems so weird <laughs> and you're like yeah you don't have to be in those places to do either good work or make an impact and stuff so it's an interesting way to kind of phrase it all like that, but it happened like that was the solution to the problem. It wasn't the the at the inception of the idea, right? So like you guys have figured out a way to make this work, but it's not how you went into it. And and I wonder if if it's even possible. I, I'm sure it is possible, but I'm wondering if it's okay. Let's just say would, would ASG ever attempt solving a problem that way that hasn't started yet? you know, like intentionally, or, or is this only a reaction to a, to a situation? And I, I, I know that it kind of falls more on the reaction to a situation side of things, but our firms set up to, you know, we've talked about remote work and getting talent from anywhere. And, and I mean, uh, expanding your borders of where you do projects because location isn't as important as it used to be. But I still think we kind of go back to what we're used to, and that doesn't become potential. It's kind of funny that ASG is actually set up more as, I don't necessarily agree that it's like, say, in my situation, it's a reaction to. It is, it really is, is that we do projects all over the place and they're okay with their people being all over the place because even before COVID we had people all over the place. I mean, yes, we had our main offices in Baltimore or DC or Phoenix, but then we had remote workers all over the place. And, and it was, I don't know if it's the joke or if it was just, you know, you know, part of like our expansion kind of philosophy was, is that, you know, we'll do projects anywhere that Southwest flies. So we'll go, you know, wherever, you know, I guess we had a corporate deal with, with them, you know, you know, to fly and stuff, but it was just the thing. Well, if you're near a hub, it makes sense. I get it. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we would just go wherever the, the winds take us. And, and so maybe that's the solution. Yeah, I can work for this person or this person, or this person, but you know, why not stay local to family and friends and things like that? but still be able to like, you know, practice for a firm in New York or DC or LA or whatever. Anyway, I know we kind of like diverged from, you know, the, uh, the conversation, which, you know, that's kind what of we works. typically do, but 
what have you, you know, what have you seen? Let me, let me interview you <laughs> a little bit. Like, what have you seen in Topeka since you've been there? Has it just been mostly convention right. stuff? So mostly convention stuff, except I did get to get kind of the Royal uh, tour by the, the main VP here at, at the AIA. And, and she, because my grandparents on my father's side are both from Kansas, that became kind of a, a big driver for them to pursue me to come here. <laughs> so that the, the neat thing about that was like, okay, there's kind of a coming home aspect to the story. How did they know you? Well, were... that just came up. That just came up during the, the first conversation, you know? So it, it, they didn't like stalk me ahead of time to figure that out, but it, it, it just came up. And, and then that, I think that just made it even more of a, an obvious, Oh, we, we have to do this now. Like, Oh, now that we know that we have to do this. So, it was cool. Which is cool. Um, and so, you know, one of the big things, one of the big draws here is just obviously the the openness, but there's this big preserve uh, called the I forget the ag- actual name of it, but it's a partnership, private public partnership with the National Park Service and the Nature Conservancy to uh, for this um grasslands prairie natural reserve, something like that. And uh, it's in the Flint Hills, and it's an absolutely gorgeous area. So I got to go check that out yesterday and spend some time seeing kind of the, you know, the protected areas of Kansas and absolutely gorgeous rolling grass hills and wildflowers and old limestone buildings and limestone barns. And there's a a beautiful area kind of southwest between Topeka and I guess the the highway goes all the way to Santa Fe, New Mexico, but it's um, one of those just amazing areas with rivers running through it and these rolling grasslands where the buffalo used to roam and very wild west, right? But um, protected, beautiful area worth saving. So that was kind of above and beyond the conference part of it that I got to experience. Yes. Did you get your uh, um, national park passport? You know, they didn't even ask. It's like a totally free. You don't even have to pay to go there. (laughs) And I don't have my a passport. I only my son does. I don't have my own. Do you have your own? Uh, You know, we all got them when we had moved to the DC area because there were so many different like national parks or like national battlefields and you know places like that. And uh, so we all had them and we were all getting them stamped, but then it kind of just fell, fell by the wayside because everybody was just like, that's kids stuff. No, it's so cool. <laughs> I would do it if I had one, but uh, it, it, I feel like is. I've been to so many parks that I, it's just too late now that I, I would feel bad that I've been to so many that I never got a stamp from that I probably won't see again. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was, uh, my thing was, is not necessarily the stamps, but to get the little uh, plate from oh, a walking stick. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, you know, and, and if they had them, I would, I know, would not them. have even thought of bringing it on this trip. Honestly, I, I did not expect that to have happened, <laughs> which has happened a few times where it's like, you find yourself in a situation where you're like, like when I went to St. Louis, I, I never thought that the, the gateway arch was a national park. I would not have thought to have brought my, my passport there. So, or my yearly card that I, happily pay the park service every year just to contribute right but i I didn't even bring it so i I end up paying for the entry fee anyway so um yeah i wouldn't have thought of it i got a 
free one last time because they had changed the um, entrance into the national parks where, you know, veterans, as long as you can show proof of your service, they let you in for free. And so I was going in, I was doing that as I was going into um, Skyline Drive, you know, in Shenandoah National Park. And the lady's like, hold on a minute. And then she handed me a brand new card that said military on it. And I'm like, yeah, sweet. That's cool. I was like, I still kind of want to give you the $80, um, you know, for it because. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They're so underfunded. Exactly. I don't want to deny you the money that I've been giving you, you know, all these years for this thing. Like I, I have no problem giving you money because I support your cause. Yeah. So that, that was a a cool little uh, extra thing that I got to do. Other than that, I've been just kind of here and there working on, you know, just putting all the crossing the T's dotting the I's on my presentation for tomorrow and, listening to architects tell cool stories. Uh, it's What's really cool is um, they, they just did a Pecha Kucha kind of event. They call it Chit Chat. And the, the first architect Ooh, who, okay. yeah, easier. It's totally Kansas, right? It's a, yeah, let's do the Chit Chat event. It's so funny that you say that because so many people say Pecha Kucha in so many weird ways. I don't know that I'm saying it right, but I hear, I hear so many translations of that that I'm just like, what are you saying? Uh, so yeah, chit chat. Let's make a a movement to change it. <laughs> so this this first architect did a presentation on this zine that he does with some friends from college. For, you know, this was from the '90s, and he they still do this this zine. And uh, it, it was I think it's called Johnny America or Johnny American, something like that. I'll have to look it up um, and see if I can put it in the show notes. But it was it was just such a great funny presentation and he did this thing where he he set up his powerpoint ahead of time and he set it to autoplay so that he could not go over time right and it was just automatically advancing to the next slide every i don't know 20 seconds or whatever it was pretty funny it was and so what i was going to say about that was i i felt like these architects at least at this event aren't taking themselves very seriously which i totally appreciate and i think that is a uh, something that needs to happen way more often in this presentation or sorry in this profession is that we just need to be way less serious about ourselves and what we're doing and have more fun doing it because that is way more contagious it should be more contagious than than the negativity that i see all over the place which is also very contagious yeah you know that's funny is you say that I sit through, obviously, sit through tons of meetings per day, per week, per month, per year. And everybody seems, you know, wants to be so serious about it. And sure enough, when they log on to a meeting invite that Cormac sent, they are not going to get professionalism. (laughs) They're going to get guaranteed. I mean, they're going to get, they're going to get work done. But I mean, I, hate sitting through meetings that are so stuffy and stale where even if I'm talking, I'm falling asleep, which is possible to do. Let me just tell you, it is possible to to fall asleep while you're talking if the meeting is that boring. So for the love of all that's holy, stop right. conducting boring right. meetings. I thought it was so refreshing to and, see this presentation and 
and now I'm going to pause because I can't think of the word and the slides are still going and I'm going to fall behind. And it, and it was just really fun. And, and that to me was, was something that is just so necessary today where it's, we're so serious. We're so strapped for everything, uh, budgets, time, we're, we're tortured artists. And I, I felt like, oh, wow, I, I would love to work with that guy. I would love to collaborate with that guy because just his his approach to this presentation, you know, if, if he messed it up, it wasn't going to be the end of the world. And, and everyone was totally okay with that. And I don't know if that's a Kansas thing or if that's just a him kind of a thing, but I felt like we need more levity like that. It was, it was really cool. We, I, I will say that something that I do find refreshing about you know, the, the small interaction with Midwest folks are, you know, since moving back to the Midwest, is that they don't necessarily take themselves too seriously. Because, you know, in a way, what's the point? So I did find uh, Johnny America, a little zine um, of fiction, humor, and other miscellany, published by Moon, Moon Rapid Drinking Club and, and Benevolent Society. See, <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, exactly. That's great. Um, and their latest publication is Obscure and Irregular. He kind of went through the Love history and, and showed the timeline of the evolution of the zines and talked about his really bad graphic skills. And then at one point, he had he had finally built up some skills in InDesign in the, in the late 90s, right? And 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 then here in in this one you you can really see the the grid coming through and we're really settling into the graphic layout and you know really building some some serious skills at this point and this cover you had to bake it in the oven because it was glow in the dark ink and like we're just another level it was it was really cool so i think they're on like uh issue 10 or something and uh it, it's just it just sounds like a kind of a labor of love and and he made a very strong point that that the point was never to make any money he's like we're architects right so our goal was just to break even <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, fun little little uh, jabs thrown in there to to make fun of our own profession and, and it was great because it was in a room full of architects so did you did you yell out amen brother i hear that <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that would have been good there there is one I'm just scrolling through the latest uh, issue and there's one art, uh, article in here called the encyclopedia of serial killers. <laughs> All right. I'm I sold it. I don't know how many, how many contributors there are, but it sounds like there were two or three or four, but uh, yeah, all, all college roommates or studio mates from architecture school way back when, and still, still finding the time to put something like this together. It's pretty cool. So, Okay, so otherwise, you know, tomorrow you have your uh, your big uh, keynote. You, uh, I, I, I don't know if you actually get nervous, but do you get nervous? Um, it, it depends on the event and the content. Not, not for this one. You always seem so well prepared. I, I kind of, you know, spend a lot of time figuring that stuff out ahead of time. Yeah, so. I would say, you know, there's a healthy mix of letting whatever happens happen and trying to be as prepared as possible, but not over preparing. Right. So that's kind of how I roll with presentations. I, I'm very, because of the podcast, Cormac, I am very okay with 
allowing whatever comes out to just come out and and be a part of it because <laughs> this is not something that needs to really stand the test of time right so um i'm okay with that yeah because I, I mean you know you say that i i find that like safer you know you're you're talking about this guy you know had this presentation set up but i mean he it just kind of like he got a little ahead of himself or a little behind on it and and everything else and it just happened right and as you said you know whatever happens happens because you know it's not it's just a moment in time and you know it's so funny because when we think about the way that architects prepare for like presentations for new projects and stuff like that it's so scripted so I thought we should definitely talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I've worked at a firm. They would hire a presentation coach because winning the project was such a big deal. And and to be honest, there are people who need that. Right? For sure. There are definitely people who who can I and I, I could I I need that. I can always get better. And then there's the architects in the room who are like, I don't need this. I don't need to be here. I'm, I'm perfect. I'm cool. I'm the best. Like people love me. And, and there's other people in the room who are like, uh, no, you actually do need this because you're full of yourself. Right. And clients don't like listening to you because you're full of yourself. And it's, so it's interesting. Like there's a lot of dynamics at play there. And then there are really people who don't need the prep who do their best when it is just off the cuff, it's and and there's no way to kind of properly categorize people because there is ego and preparedness and there's so many things involved. But but those those are they could be interesting and they can also be torture when they bring in the the presentation consultant or the communication consultant, whatever they're called, to come in and prepare for those big pitches. And uh, yeah, there's so much preparation that goes into those. It's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting is because, you know, the last time I was on a, a presentation for, you know, we were going after a project and my portion of it was things that were in my wheelhouse about like, you know, adaptive reuse. And, and so they wanted me to talk more about like that and how we work with buildings like that and how, how, what's the process like I happened to also be traveling to Saudi Arabia at the time. And so I couldn't practice with them. And so they were like, well, let me write you a, a script. And this is what, you know, we want you to say, and here are your slides. You know, I stuff. am not an actor. I cannot memorize that it, stuff. And, and so, you know, I looked at this, you know, looked at the slides, looked at the script and tried to like, you know, commit to memory. And I'll tell you, I'm actually worse if I have to go off of a script. If I, you just sound like you're reading, right? It's either that, or I get so nervous that I'm going to forget one of my lines, you know, that, that I don't really do very well. It's just kind of like, it's not comfortable or natural for me. And so I tend to like, get like overly nervous or overly complicated or overly think about things. And then, you know, and so we were giving the speech and I kind of just like, hobbled through my my slides and then when they came back to me to ask some direct questions specifically about it you know here i am thinking you know like getting a little like overly nervous about oh i'm back to the slide you know i'm i'm back to the information that you know we presented on the slides and which of course i didn't really know very well because 
I was traveling. I didn't write it and I was traveling and everything else. So then I just said, all right, I'm, I got to shoot from the hip and, and, you know, just completely go off script of this. And it felt more natural and more of flow. And they're like, oh, I, I like how you just kind of like ad lib some of the slides and everything. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't really do that because I didn't know what the hell you put on the slides. <laughs> well, then there's always the person who is like, okay, I am absolutely not going to say this because no one in the room wants me to. And then they do it because that's their natural tendency is to like go into this minutia and there's not time for that. And they do it anyway because it's who they are. And everyone else in the room is like trying to elbow them or kick them under the table or whatever to say, stop it. You said you weren't going to do this. You're ruining the presentation, but you're doing it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, you go th- or or you go through all of this practice. And this was another one that I noticed. So you're going through all of this practice and, you know, everybody's got their speech down. And then when you're in the actual room, it all goes out the window and they start reading off the slides. I'm like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, this is not what we practiced. It's not what we agreed to. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just like, wow. I, yeah. It is interesting to think about this from a kind of a student perspective. This is, you know, there were definitely presentations, right? There were, there were juries and crits and presentations, but to think about this whole idea of like the project pursuit and you've got, several different experts at the table who are all going to have these speaking points and they're going to talk about their various expertise. And, and then there's going to be somebody over there pushing the button to advance the PowerPoint and whatever. And this is a totally foreign concept, right? And, and not very many people get to participate in the pursuit process out of the, the ones who are in the office. Right. But it is kind of a weird, but, I don't know. I think for some people, it's kind of exhilarating. For other people, it's just absolute trauma, right, to go through. But they're forced to because of the role that they have and the expertise that they have. And they want to, they're going to be the ones who would work with the clients. The clients want to see the people that they're going to be working with because that's the point, right? It's like to see if there's a match between the clients and the people that they're hiring because they want to work with the people they want to work with. It's it's a very interesting piece of what architects do to try to win work and compete for work with other firms. And I I guess where I'm going with this is it just is a totally screwed up business model. Like this totally goes back to how much time do we spend trying to win work, not even competition work, right? I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about legit jobs that pay people salaries at firms for years and we have to compete for it how many do you win what's the percentage like 20 percent if you're good 30 percent if you're the best right of all the jobs you go after it's it's crazy to me that this is the life of an architect and here we are that's what we do and here we are <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like this is the accepted way to do it this is how you do it you put all the stuff out your your marketing department is not marketing it's business development it's teaching people how to win work like this is this is never a part of the education of becoming an architect so it's just it's just how firms operate and this is what you do and this is how you do it it's pretty crazy <laughs> so yeah that my presentation tomorrow has nothing to do with any of that it's uh <laughs> I, i'm excited to do it it's going to be i hope it's going to be 
you know, kind of eye-opening. But then, you know, my twist is really about, it's about people and being prepared to, like, you know, it's it's what we do here. It's what I do on the other podcasts. It's it's really kind of a, I'm a portal to the people in the profession or outside of the profession who will give you the information you need way faster than you can get searching on Google or trying to find. Uh, so if it's tech and you want to find out everything you can about architecture and technology, listen to my podcast, right? Just just stay up to date there and, you, and you're going to get so much more information there. But it's also what I'm doing at Tech. It's about connecting architects with the right people at the right time and getting what you need way faster than if you were to try to find it on Google. So there's kind of a twist to the technology story, right? Which is, yeah, there's a lot of eye candy, but the cool thing is there's real people behind all this technology. And the reason we do what we do is not because of the technology. It's because of the people. I mean, we serve our clients as architects. We are contributing to our communities like we're not doing this so that we get to use Revit. I mean, that would be crazy, right? We're not doing this so that we get to use whatever the latest tools are. No, those are a means to an end. The cool thing is if you're a firm out there who is not up on the latest greatest, there's people out there willing to help you and they know everything and they they will help you if you if you just connect with the right people. So my my story actually is I think, I hope, a little unexpected in that regard because I think most of the time when people are hearing about technology, they're thinking about just the tool and what it can do. And then they're kind of wondering if they could ever figure it out or if, what, what it would take to do training. And all, there's so many things, reasons to not do it all of a sudden. After they see it and they love it, it's like then they avoid it, right? So as the gap of innovation and adoption gets bigger and bigger, what's the smallest step you can take to actually start to move in that direction? And, and the answer is people. You just have to reach out to the right people. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, see how it gets received. I guess I'll give an update maybe in the next episode. But um, I hope that that's a little bit refreshing because I think that is something that people absolutely can take action on. And it's not too intimidating right? Because we work, we all work with people. So that's the goal. And you, sir, are the portal to the people. I'm the, I'm the portal. (laughs) I wasn't going to let that go. Putting that in the presentation now. I'm a portal. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L- M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.